So who's ready for the Word of God this morning? Who needs some encouragement this morning? If you have been in a difficult place, you're going to be encouraged this morning, let me tell you. We're in a four-part series. Last week, I preached about the Holy Spirit as water, and look what happened. (laughs) Now now I'm preaching on the Holy Spirit as oil. So uh, everyone's coming out of here very slippery. (laughs) And... uh, and, uh, Next week, oh no, not next week because uh, young Luke is preaching, but the, the following two messages will be the Holy Spirit as fire, a, a different revelation of the fire of the Holy Spirit, and then as wind. Um, so last week, quite a portion of my message was based on Psalm 1, which speaks about the tree planted by the rivers of water. And I spoke about how that water represents the Holy Spirit and how God desires that we grow into maturity as trees of righteousness. And that maturity is accompanied by character and requires of us that we are firmly rooted and planted in the Word of God. And God's promise from Psalm 1 is that when we are planted by the river of the Holy Spirit, the rain comes the water of the Holy Spirit begin to, begins to rise up through the ground to meet those roots that we have growing down and we uh, flourish and we grow from a seed to a seedling to a sapling to a full tree to full maturity. And this week I'm speaking about the Holy Spirit described as oil and what that represents is the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Now you guys are all... Uh, good faithful Pentecostals, who's heard the term the anointing? Yeah. All right, we need the anointing. Everybody, everybody heard that? We need the anointing. What does the anointing mean? Um, and you will have noticed even this morning when Esperance was praying for people that we use the anointing oil uh, to pray for people because we believe it's representative of the Holy Spirit. And this is not just a religious or Pentecostal tradition, but it's something that we do that is scripturally based to represent, be symbolic of the work of the Holy Spirit expressed in a number of ways. And uh, so where did this come from? We see it when uh, Moses in the wilderness consecrated the tabernacle. And so this was the first occurrence of it. And uh, what they did was they anointed with oil. And the word anointed means smear. So it's not like a little dab. It's smear. So they smeared with oil every part of the tabernacle and all its furnishings, the altars, the lavers, the, uh, the, everything in the Holy of Holies, the curtains, everything of the tabernacle and in the tabernacle had to be anointed with oil. It wasn't something that was a little dab here or something a little dab there. And the reason that we know that they used the anointing oil um, copiously was because of the formula that Moses was given. And so um, there was not only um, a, a formula, but the person who mixed the anointing oil had to be a, well, I guess you'd call it an anointed perfumer. 
So they mixed these specific ingredients. And when you see how much was involved, you see that they used it liberally. So the, um, this is from Exodus 30 where the formula was given. They used five kilos of myrrh. Does everybody know what myrrh is? It's that little white sap that comes out of those myrrh trees. Five kilos of myrrh, two kilos of cinnamon, two kilos of cane, five kilos of cassia, and one hin of olive oil. Now, a hin of olive oil is the equivalent of six litres of olive oil, and it takes 30 to 35 kilos of olives to produce that one litre. This was a massive amount of this anointing oil, and they walked throughout the tabernacle, and they put it all over everything. They smeared everything with this anointing oil, and there is a story behind each one of those ingredients. I remember preaching on myrrh um, a couple of years ago, and just that one thing would take 40 minutes. But make, uh, make note of the fact that that last ingredient, that one liter of anoint of olive oil, that olive oil is what makes the oil oil. They, were in, they, they weren't instructed to use any other tree or any other source of oil. It had to be from an olive tree. And in uh, Exodus 30, 25 to 30, it describes the process. You shall make from these a holy anointing oil, an ointment compounded according to the art of the perfumer. It shall be a holy anointing oil. With it you shall anoint the tabernacle of meeting and the ark of testimony, the table and all its utensils, the lampstand and its utensils, the altar of incense, the altar of burnt offering with all its utensils and the laver and its base. You shall consecrate them that they may be most holy and whatever touches them must be holy. Whatever touched those elements of the tabernacle had to be holy. And so the next logical thing is whoever touched those things must be holy. And so this flowed on to anointing the priests. In the next verse, in verse 30, it says, You shall anoint Aaron and his sons and consecrate them that they may minister to me as priests. When you consecrate something or somebody, you are setting them apart for the Lord's purposes and therefore they are holy. That's what holy means. And so uh, this practice was expanded on later to include the kings of Israel. So Samuel, for instance, anointed Saul with oil as the first king of Israel. 1 Samuel 10.1, it says, Then Samuel took a flask of oil and poured it on his head. We didn't have enough oil to do that this morning, Esperance, but bear it in mind if you're asked to do it again. <laughs> poured it on his head and kissed him and said, Is it not because the Lord has anointed you or consecrated you commander over his inheritance? There was a kingly anointing. And then when it comes to David, it says something very interesting because we know that David followed Saul. 1 Samuel 16, 13, Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And make note of this, the spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. When you anoint something or somebody with oil, the Holy Spirit gets involved. This is why I believe it's entirely consistent 
with scriptural truth to anoint your home. I've done it so many times. We've had a couple of incidents in our home where something ungodly uh, wanted to take up residence there, wanted to influence the atmosphere in that place. And we went through and we anoint every door and every window, command that influence to leave and reconsecrate the place as a dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. And for the most part, we have peace in our home. Is that right, honey? <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> you need peace in your home? Anoint it. Amen? Amen. And anoint yourself while you're at it. The Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. This is a very important statement because till then he was just a shepherd boy out the backside of nowhere. But from that day forward, he began to walk in his calling to be a king. And that's why he could come out in front of all the chicken-hearted armies of Israel confronting Goliath, the champion of the Philistines, and he could state with uh, great authority what he was going to do because he knew that God was with him. Are you still preaching on that this afternoon? Awesome. So you'll hear some more about David and Goliath if you come back this afternoon. What a sales pitch that was. Okay. <laughs> From that day forward, he began to walk in the calling of a king and still later it was, it was used to anoint prophets. So for instance... When Elisha was called as a prophet, Elijah was given this instruction, 1 Kings 19.16, You shall anoint Jehu the son of Nimshi as king over Israel, and Elisha the son of Shaphat of Abel Meholah, you shall anoint as prophet in your place. So what do we got? Priest, prophet, king. Amen? All anointed, and the utensils or anything that they used could be set apart for the presence of God. I remember uh, when I gave my life to the Lord and I knew that I couldn't continue uh, playing in the type of bands that I was playing in and I had all those guitars and I remember going through and anointing every single guitar as an instrument for God's glory and decided I was going to set my gifting aside for what he wanted to use it for. You can do that with your job. You can do it with your car. Some of us need to anoint our cars to keep us under the speed limit. I had the distinct pleasure of driving, driving a, Subaru, a brand new Subaru WRX home last night and uh, I was very challenged by temptation, let me tell you. <laughs> I won't talk about that. It was an interesting experience. Uh, so we see that the process of consecration, setting apart for use by God, is often initiated by anointing with oil. That's what it means. We're consecrating something to God. When we talk about having the anointing, you ever heard that expression? Oh, that preacher has the anointing. Oh, that worship leader, they got the anointing. The anointing is upon this. The anointing is upon that. When we talk about the anointing, we are speaking of the Holy Spirit moving through us as consecrated vessels or, or having those vessels, even if they're physical things, that are set apart for use by God. So this building is consecrated. It's been anointed with oil. It's set, up, it's set aside as a place where God is worshipped. We won't, we won't allow it to be used for any other purpose. I remember somebody approaching me to um, use the building for a very worthy educational purpose, and I said, no, 
This is a gathering place for the people of God to worship God, to preach the word, to minister to people who need the presence of God. We're not here to do anything else. So when we talk about this, we need to be aware of the sort of things that can happen when the Holy Spirit um, shows up because the anointing that the Word of God says breaks yokes and brings deliverance. You know that expression, the anointing breaks the yoke? That's straight out of the Word of God. That's Isaiah 10, 27. The anointing releases healing. The anointing sets apart for God. The uh, anointing releases priestly authority, kingly authority, and prophetic authority. So when I, when I um, prayed for certain members of our congregation to be released as prophets, we anointed them with oil because the anointing comes upon the prophetic declaration and God begins to accelerate them into everything that he has for them. But it's not instantaneous. We are all in process. Does everybody understand you're all in a process? Because we're going to dig into this idea of being in process and God developing us in what he has for us. So, uh, so far I've given examples from the Old Testament, but in the New Testament, and of course everything in the Old Testament points to the New, in the New Testament when Jesus sent out his 12 disciples from town to town, this is what happened, Mark 6, 12 to 13. So they went out and preached that people should repent. Everybody say repent. repent. Can I just uh, affirm and confirm to you that repentance is one of the most important words in the Christian dictionary? <laughs> repentance. Repentance is what frees us from things that have bound us, things from the past, and allows us to move into the future. There is no demon in hell that can stay attached to somebody who is truly repentant. Hallelujah. <laughs> Hallelujah, indeed. They went out and preached that people should what? I'm glad you're listening this morning. And as a result, they cast out, this is verse 13, they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. Now we know from Scripture that there was a whole bunch of people that were sent out in the next batch by Jesus. We're not just talking about the 12 apostles here. We're talking about groups of Christians who went out and took oil with them and prayed for the sick and healed them and taught them to repent and receive the kingdom. You guys are all authorized to do that. Why is that? Because you are all kings and priests to our God. Amen. In James 5, 14 to 15, it says, Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church. Let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick. The Lord will raise him up. Isn't that an amazing promise? We have prayed for so many sick people in this place and seen so much healing released. And if you've been prayed for for healing and you haven't received your healing yet, you can stand on the word of God that he is true. So let's talk about consecration. Because when someone is anointed with oil as a mark of being set aside for God's purposes, it doesn't mean that they are immediately operating in the fullness of their calling. 
I remember when I was anointed uh, with oil as the pastor of Open Heaven Church. And I didn't really have much idea of what I was doing. I was never trained as a pastor. I went to Bible college, but I didn't have that, you know, pastoral training. And I still operated more as an evangelist than I did as a pastor. And uh, so with anything, especially the five-fold ministry, when you're released into one of those offices, it doesn't mean that you're operating in maturity. And there is some really, really powerful scripture around um, what we're going to go into in that regard this morning. See, uh, uh, when somebody is anointed with oil and consecrated, set apart for God's purpose, the power of the Holy Spirit comes and the power of the Holy Spirit goes to work on us. Anointing with oil is a recognition of the calling. It is a prophetic declaration of what God is doing and will do. And it is also a prophetic declaration of who we will be. Let's talk about what happens next. <laughs> so you have all been anointed. I don't think there's anybody in this building that hasn't been anointed with oil at some point in one of our services. If you haven't been, uh, you are more than welcome to be prayed over this morning at the end of our service. Let's talk about what happens after the anointing is released over a consecrated vessel. And once again, we're looking at a tree in the Word of God uh, that illustrates what we're talking about. Now, remember last week I talked about how Jesus said we would become trees of righteousness. Anybody ever thought about what sort of tree that might be? Well, in Psalm 52 verse 8, we get from David this amazing verse in an amazing part of his life. Psalm 52 8, he says, But I am like a green olive tree in the house of God. I trust in the mercy of God forever and ever. And as we shall, shall discover, this is at one of the most difficult moments in his life that he makes this declaration. If you read the rest of the psalm, you'll see that he's calling out the iniquity of other people because of what's been done against him. But he talks about his identity and he says, I am like a green olive tree in the house of God. I trust in the mercy of God forever and ever. And so the question becomes, there's a twofold part to this. Why an olive tree? Firstly, why didn't he say, I'm like a cedar of Lebanon? Why am I uh, not like a gum tree? <laughs> They've got gum trees in Israel now, but I don't think they had them then. Why not this tree? Why not that tree? Why an olive tree? And why does he say a green olive tree? These are the two things that we're going to explore. What is it about the olive tree in particular that teaches us about the work of the Holy Spirit? Now, we just talked about how the anointing oil, the chief ingredient, the thing that makes it actually oil is olive oil, obviously, from the olive tree. Why did David include the olive tree in this psalm? Is he just being poetic? Or is there something prophetic to be found here? So let's talk a, a little bit about the oil itself. Why was it olive oil that was used as the main ingredient in the anointing oil? It was at God's command, right? In Exodus 30, he gave the anointed, per, anointed <laughs> perfumer the job of putting the ingredients together and the oil that was to be used was olive oil. It's God's choice. It's because of the nature of the olive tree 
and the prophetic significance attached to that type of tree. See, no matter what the conditions are that that tree is planted in, whether it's hot, whether it's dry, whether it's cold, whether it's wet, whether it's rocky, whether it's sandy, this evergreen olive tree, in other words, it doesn't operate by normal seasons. It can produce season in and season out around the year. The evergreen olive tree will live and produce fruit no matter where it's planted. It is said that you can never kill an olive tree. Even when cut down or burned, new shoots will emerge from its roots. Its rocks, it's, sorry, its roots are so strong that they will crack open rock to get to the water below. Isn't this amazing? Of course it's true. <laughs> I promise you I did not get this from Wikipedia or any other dodgy source. <laughs> the, <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, I, I noticed from Kerry's speech at the wedding last night that, you know, if she ever decides that she'd retire from pastoring, she's probably got a second uh, calling as a comedian. Let's just talk about the olive tree again for a minute because Kerry's introduced a totally different atmosphere into the meeting, so we'll just set that aside for a minute. No matter what the conditions that you plant an olive tree in, whether it's hot, dry, cold, wet, rocky or sandy, the evergreen olive tree will live and it will produce fruit. It is said you can never kill it. You ever heard that expression, you couldn't kill it with an axe? Well, you can't kill an olive tree with an axe. Even when cut down or burned, new shoots will emerge from its roots. Its roots are so strong, they will crack open rock to get to the water that it needs so that it can flourish. They grow in almost any condition, on terraced hills or in valleys, in rocky or fertile soil. They can, they can thrive in great heat with a minimum of water, they are virtually indestructible and some of them grow from root systems that are 2,000 years old. And so as I looked into this, I felt like God take, it took me to Job 14, 7 and 9. And you know the story of Job, he went through more than just about anybody else in the Word of God. Job 14, 7 and 9, he makes this statement, For there is hope for a tree, if it is cut down, that it will sprout again, and that its tender shoots will not cease. Though its root may grow old in the earth, and its stump may die in the ground, yet at the scent of water it will bud and bring forth branches like a plant. That is an olive tree. I'm convinced Job is talking about an olive tree. But there's another aspect to the olive tree that we're going to dig into now, and that is that when an olive tree is first planted, now remember, we are the planting of the Lord. Is that right? Yes. When an olive tree is first planted, the olive producer or the farmer or the person who plants that olive tree, tree has to wait 15 years for its first good harvest. 
And here is where the story of the olive tree and the story of David truly come together. I believe that David deliberately chose the olive tree to describe himself because of what he was going through when he wrote it. And he recognised that God had him in a prophetic process. That God had spoken certain things over him, but he was not yet walking in those things. In fact, he was walking in something so opposite, it's almost unbelievable. In Psalm 52.8, I'm like a green olive tree in the house of God. I trust in the mercy of God forever and ever. And at the time that David wrote this psalm, he was probably about 21 or 22 years of age. Those of you um, who know the story of David would probably remember that he was anointed by Samuel to be king when he was just a boy, most probably at the age of 15. And so here he is seven years later and he writes this psalm in the most desperate situation that he's encountered in his life. This is bigger than Goliath. This is one of the uh, pivotal moments in David's life and ministry. The story is found in 1 Samuel 21, and I'll just summarize it so we don't go through the whole story. Uh, The story is found in 1 Samuel 21. David is on the run after finding out that King Saul wanted to kill him. He's just gone on the run, and he arrives at a place called Nob, and there he meets Ahimelech, who is the priest of that region. So that community of believers is serviced by this priest and some other priests with him. And the priest gave David holy bread because he's got nothing to eat. And he comes to the house of the Lord in that place and he comes to the priest, says, give me something to eat. And the priest says, all I've got is this holy bread, which only the priest can have. And uh, so David said, give me that bread. And he gave it to him. And he also gave him the sword of Goliath, which was on display there. Now, there is a whole teaching, which we'll go into some other time, about the holy bread, how it was reserved for priests being given to someone who was not a priest. But we have to recognize in this story that David is the forerunner of the Messiah. Is that true? And that there is an aspect of him where we can say he was not only a king, he was not only a priest, but he was a prophet, just as the Messiah who came from his lineage was. David was a forerunner out of whose lineage the Messiah would come. So like the Messiah, he was prophet, priest, and king. Now, that's very interesting all by itself, but where this story takes a twist is there's another man there And I don't know how to pronounce the name properly. It's D-O-E-G, and we're going to call him Doug. You'll remember this. And Doug is an Edomite. Everybody say Doug the Edomite. (laughs) If you know uh, your biblical history, you'll know that the Edomites were not exactly God's first choice. So the fact that Doug is an Edomite is very significant. And he was employed as Saul, King Saul, who is now pursuing David with the armies of Israel and wants to kill him. Doug, the Edomite, everybody say Doug, the Edomite. They're going to wake up in the middle of the night going, Doug, the Edomite. And what's that about? Doug, the Edomite, 
When he finds out what Ahimelech has done to assist David, this guy is Saul's chief herdsman, he goes to Saul and tells what Ahimelech has done in helping David. And guess what Saul does in retribution? Because by the time he gets the news, David is on the run again. He's taken off again. And all the people who were the the off-scourings of society in Israel ran to David, came alongside him and became his mighty men. And he's on the run and all the armies of Israel want to kill him. And um, so he leaves that place and Saul turns up with all his soldiers and everything. He finds out what's being done. So he gets Ahimelech and he gets all of the 85 priests who are supposed to minister in that region associated with that house of the Lord and he has them all killed. Every single priest of that region is killed by Saul and then he puts the entire town to the sword. Every man, woman, child, nursing infant, oxen, donkeys, sheep, Everyone and everything are killed by Saul in retribution because they helped the man that God had anointed. And, and David wrote Psalm 52 where we just read about the green olive tree, but I'm a green olive tree in the house of the Lord. I trust in the mercies of God forever. That statement is made right when he finds out what's happened to all these godly men and women who did nothing but serve the anointing. Imagine his distress This man who the Bible describes as being after God's own heart, imagine his distress when he finds out that he has been indirectly responsible for the deaths of all these people. Even innocent bystanders, even little babies, cut in half just because Saul wants to kill the anointing. And yet, He writes this psalm and he says, But I am like a green olive tree in the house of God. I trust in the mercy of God forever and ever. What's he doing? He's making a prophetic declaration of who he is and what he will become. He's seven years into a 15-year journey to become king. How long does it take for the olive tree to produce its fruit? 15 years. Is there, is, is there a coincidence here? Are there any coincidences in the Bible? Yes. There are none. There are only God incidences. <laughs> there are no coincidences in the Bible. It takes 15 years for an olive tree to produce its fruit to begin pouring the oil out. It takes 15 years for David. He gets the anointing as a shepherd boy. He has this incredible victory over Goliath. He must have thought all his Christmases had come at once. The king wants to give him his armour. He's been blessed by this, blessed by that. He's picking up wives left, right and centre. I don't know if multiple wives is a blessing, but anyway, that's what happened. (laughs) In fact, I I, I could confidently say one is more than enough. But it is a good thing for a man to be married. (laughs) As David is discovering as we speak, because he just got married yesterday. Not this David, David. Just just in case anybody's confused. So 
He calls himself a green olive tree. He's halfway into the process that God has put in store for him to come into everything that has been promised over him. I am like a green olive tree in the house of God. I trust in the mercy of God forever and ever in spite of everything, in spite of all the people that have just been murdered, in spite of even all the animals associated with the town being slaughtered. I imagine they probably burnt all the buildings and the house of God to the ground. In spite of everything, called by God, anointed by God, set apart, consecrated, anointed by God, but living as a destitute fugitive, begging bread, literally begging bread, and it's all turned into a disaster. Destined to be a king, but sought by a murderous king intent on destroying him. Everything looks like the opposite of what has been promised over him. In a time of seeming hopelessness where David is crushed by what has happened, still he looks forward to the faithfulness of God being fulfilled over his life. Thank you for that. Amen. Let's get a little bit Pentecostal in the house this morning and give God glory that your story is not finished yet. Even in the ruins of that place where all the priests of God have been murdered and the town destroyed, David can still see that he is destined to be fruitful in the house of God. Is that how you see yourself? That you are called to fruitfulness. That your story is not finished. I don't care if you are seven or 70. I don't care if you're seven months or 700 months. How old would that be? That will be quite a bit. David can still see that he is destined to be fruitful in the house of God. He sees himself as a green olive tree. And then I thought, I've got to make sure this is scriptural. I've got to make sure what I think green in this context means is actually what it means, green olive tree. And so I went hunting and I found in Job again, 1530, Job 15.32, the... Uh, The word green is used exactly the same Hebrew word to identify an immature plant. So he recognises, David recognises that where he is is not where he's called to be, but he is able to accept Because of the anointing upon his life, he is able to accept that he is not yet ready for all that God has called him to. Otherwise, he wouldn't have included green. Because if it wasn't a green olive tree, the anointing would be pouring off him into the house of God around him. And yet here is the worship revolutionary of his day who broke so many sections of the Hebrew Lord to establish a worship system in Israel that pointed forward prophetically where he would make a statement in Psalm 51 that God didn't want the blood of calves or bulls or the blood of anything except one thing, his son, and that by repentance we could come into relationship with God. This was a a prophet, a priest, and a king who had to learn God's ways before God could release him into everything that he had for him. Yeah. 
It is no coincidence that David waited 15 years between being anointed as king and actually being crowned. And the principle that applies to David's life also applies to me and it applies to you. We might be in a hurry. (laughs) I was in a hurry in that Subaru WRX last night. I discovered that the thing puts out 300 brake horsepower to all four wheels at the same time, even in the rain. Woo! And uh, <clears throat> well, it was a revelation that I was possibly hastening eternity if I didn't take my foot off the accelerator, so I did. <laughs> we might be in a hurry, but God never is. Relax. <laughs> Relax. He's got you. He has what he has called you. He, before he formed you, In your mother's womb, he knew you. (laughs) He knew David. He knew the compromises of his character. He knew what his failures were going to be. He saw the gifting and the talent that he had anointed him with. He saw everything about David's life, good and bad. And the one thing I love, one of the things that I love about the Bible is it never airbrushes the characters in the Bible. Yeah. They are all flawed. So if you are flawed, if you are a flawed, if you are a flawed green olive tree in the house of the Lord, you are still his choice. You couldn't even come into a relationship with him unless he drew you in the first place. You might look around you and think there are better candidates. There aren't. You're not just a candidate, you've been elected. And that's scriptural. (laughs) You are the elect of the Lord. He chose you from before you were formed in your mother's womb to walk in relationship with him, full relationship with God by the Holy Spirit, because when you received Jesus into your life, the anointing came to live in you. You have been anointed. You have been set apart. God might be taking the long way around to make sure you understand what that means, but understand it, you will. (laughs) It took me 21 years of running. I trust it doesn't take 21 years for you. And it is in the nature of your identity that even when it doesn't feel like it, even when you are walking, when you are a walking, talking misery guts, when you're depressed and disappointed and discouraged and all the rest of it, I want to give you a truth about your identity that even when it doesn't feel like it, your roots are going deep. They are cracking open the hardest rock and they are drawing water. Let this be one of the things that you take home with you today, that God is doing a work in your life and he hasn't finished. But the promise of Scripture is that even should you be taken suddenly like that in that instant, 
you will be just like Jesus, but of course with your own personality. And let me make the point that it is in the house of God that the olive tree grows and flourishes. I am a green olive tree in the house of the Lord. I'm not talking about a physical building. But scripture is very clear that we are to gather together like this very regularly. When we talk about the house of God, let me tell you what David sees. Somewhere within himself, even in this place that he's walking through where he's he's trying to uh i can imagine him having to speak over himself the promises of god because he's got to hold at bay the doubt and the unbelief that the enemy would be trying to pour out on him if you're so called if you're so chosen how come 85 priests of the lord are dead all because you won't do what you're told by saul Have you ever walked in doubt or unbelief? Has the enemy ever challenged you about who you are and what you've called to? This is the man to look to for an example out of the Old Testament. This is a man who knew what it was like to walk in incredible discouragement, to think that everything has gone south and it all looks impossible. And yet somewhere deep within his spirit, man, out pops this statement, I am a green olive tree in the house of the Lord. David sees something greater than his situation. He sees the promise of God spoken over him and he sees it as done. He sees it as made complete. And he believes that he is destined to play a part in the establishing of the house of God that is yet to be built, a family built in the spirit. That's why when he spoke in Psalm 51 about God not looking for the blood of goats or bulls, even though that was the covenant in which he was in, he could look beyond that and see that God is not going to be restricted to, uh, uh, to a bunch of buildings or, or the, the temple in Jerusalem or anywhere else. God is looking to build an oikos, a family of God built in the spirit. The house of God is built in the spirit. But you know what happens when we come together like this? The presence of God in you and the presence of God in you, the presence of God in you, the presence of God in you all come together in this glorious place of worship and all of a sudden the anointing begins to break out and yokes are broken and and people are healed. People get filled with the Holy Spirit. People are prophetically identified, called out and released into what God has for them. And I, I can't think of one person that has not, that has been released into prophetic... I can't think of one person who has been released prophetically into what God has called them to in this place where what happened to David didn't happen to them in some measure. Because the call of God comes and then everything goes south because the enemy wants to challenge what God has spoken over you. And he will throw the kitchen sink at you if he can try and get you into that place of doubt and unbelief because that 15 years is not a fixed figure. That 15 years in God's sight could be three (laughs) or it could be 40. It could be what you make it because somewhere in your heart you have to say, yes, I believe what you have spoken over me and despite 
what I'm walking through in this season, I know that your word cannot return to you void. I know that what I've been called into is my true identity and I'm going to walk in it. Amen? There's some people that need to get prayed for this morning. (laughs) There's always people that need to be prayed for. (laughs) We all need to be prayed for, let me tell you. Pray for me. Hallelujah. If you are discouraged by what you see around you, if something of what has been spoken over you remains unfulfilled, can I encourage you, lift up up your head this morning because God has anointed you. The same psalmist said, I will lift my eyes to the hills from whence my help comes. My help comes from the maker of heaven and earth. Whatever your area of need is, God has promised he will meet it and he will bring you through to rich fulfillment in his promise over you. The same promise that was over David is over you. We are all kings and priests to our God and we are all called to be prophetic. Why? Because the Spirit of the Lord that knows everything, the Alpha and Omega, dwells in you and he wants out. Amen? Let's all stand this morning. Irene, if you'd like to bring the worship team up. Were you guys practicing... um, Anointing. You're going to do it? Awesome. I didn't even have to ask you. (laughs) Now, there, there are people in particular that need to be prayed over this morning. And so, uh, The first part of the altar call is for those of you who are discouraged or who are walking through extremely different, difficult circumstances. And so, actually, let me um, let me ask you all to sit down for a minute. This is getting a bit like Catholic Church. Not really, but (laughs) I won't make that statement. I'll just shoot that rabbit right there. <laughs> I'm really good at shooting myself in the foot when I'm trying to shoot rabbits. Anyway, I've asked everybody to sit down for a reason. Be real and humble enough to admit in the presence of your brothers and sisters if you are walking through difficulty at this time, And just stand up for a minute because we need people gathered around those who are going through a difficult season. We need people to to pray. So those of you who have not stood, I would ask you to go gather around those who are standing. And just remember, you are anointed. The Spirit of the Lord is upon you because He has anointed you to preach good news. Praying for somebody is good news. Praying for somebody is declaring the promises of God over somebody even when they can't see those promises as reality at the present time. 
I don't want to have anybody left unprayed for this morning. If you stood up to receive prayer and there's nobody with you yet, can you just wave at me? Okay, now Irene and the worship team are going to lead us in this beautiful song. And we're going to invite the anointing of God to fall afresh in this place so that people's areas of need are being met as we pray for people this morning. Thank you, Irene.